You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Just like that, final hour is here, and in 20 minutes. Dan Mullen, former SEC head coach for the Florida Gators, Mississippi State Bulldogs. He'll join us on the program. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, uh, troubling video. I mean, just awful uh, for those watching, and we'll describe it. But Zach Stacy, former NFL running back, former Vanderbilt Commodore running back, he was sentenced to six months in jail after this violent assault of his girlfriend, where he literally uh, throws her into the TV and then pushes her around the room and is extri- physical doesn't describe this video. And he turned himself in after warrants were issued for his arrest, what was it, a year and a half ago, probably? Yeah. And he's getting, it actually happened in 2021 received six months in prison and one year of probation, according to WESH2 News. And he pleaded guilty to two counts of criminal mischief. That was what gets you six months. That deserves well more than six months behind bars. Yeah, it doesn't seem like enough when you see that. And this is another incident. You know, we were talking about William McGinnis, Alvin Kamara. You can see everything with your own two eyes, and it's troubling footage with him throwing around his, his girlfriend the way he did, um, just terrible. And to think six months, that's it? That's all on camera, and it apparently was a dispute over rent money. This is while he's in the league at the time, I believe, with the Rams, where he just finished that career in the NFL, was trying to stay in other leagues. But, yeah, uh, he was in St. Louis for two years and then played for the Jets. Awful. And, yep. I, again, I don't understand how that only carries six months. And criminal mischief is the uh, is the charge. Dan Campbell, well, he's sharing his thoughts on the NFL Combine. And Chad, you know, he he likes guys who are going to what bite ankles and be physical. Not a big fan of the underwear Olympics that is the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Well, you're not paying guys to work out. You're paying guys to play football. So he's not into the spectacle. I guess there's... Dan Campbell is a football guy. He says, so a football me, guy doesn't like uh, these just watching workouts. He wants to watch some hat banging. That's right. Yes. Yes. He bangs hats. He says, to me, it's more at this point to just be able to sit with these guys. They get the medical during the week. But for us to be able to do these interviews, that's the biggest part of this. It's not even the working out portion. To me, you grade them off the tape. You don't grade somebody off out here in their pajamas running the 40 with no defender around and of course every year i've fallen to this trap nolan smith has done just this very good player but chad uh for his size and position he's running what a 4-3 40 4-3-8 incredible i think i saw as a defensive end byron young of tennessee at 6-3-250 as a defensive end was a 4-4-3 both those guys stole Nuts. the show yesterday so, at their position for that. The, both those times, by the way, are faster than Justin Jefferson, as an example, at wide receiver. Exactly. These are defensive ends. And uh, so prior to yesterday with the defensive lineman workouts, 
Aaron Donald was the freak of nature on the 40 time for his size. And then there were two guys that weigh more than Aaron Donald that ran faster than him for the first time since Donald's uh, combine. That is remarkable for guys that size to run the speeds of a guy that's, you know, trying to play wide receiver. These are guys getting after it with the offensive tackles. And that's why offensive line plays down. Yeah, I think the only thing that really jumps out to you about well, anything the athletes with are the on workout, the defensive side. Yeah, well, anything with the workout part of the combine, to me, it's if it's really bad or really good. <laughs> that's really surprising with, with Nolan Smith, Byron Young on the good side, and then when someone you know runs something really slow or something's really out of the ordinary that you see, that, that's what raises eyebrows. Outside of that, I'm with Dan Campbell. You know, watch the film. That's where you're going to see if they're good football players or not. And the benefit to the coaches and, and GMs getting a chance to interview these guys. No NFL team has uh, faced a full-time white quarterback or employed a starting white quarterback since Jason Seahorn, who retired at the end of the 2003 season. And Chad, here is Riley Moss from Iowa at the NFL Combine, the draft's only white Caucasian cornerback, which, again, we have not seen since yeah. Jason Seahorn in the NFL. Um, he's being interviewed about it. You know, he's being asked about how fast he's going to run. He's 6'1", which is the size that you want for the NFL. Well, they're going to have a... But, you know, what, what, does he, what does he run, for instance, uh, uh, against the rest of his class? I, I'm fascinated to see. He's, he's a great athlete. Also, um, played in a great defense. For Iowa. What do they have, uh, like the Rooney rule, but they have a Jason Seahorn rule where you have to sign an undrafted white cornerback free agent, every team does, just to give them a shot to try to make the big club every year? Even no if play. they don't go drafted, you got to scour uh, D3 football to find the best white corner in America and just give him a, a, a camp spot to give him a chance to see if yeah. we can change this, turn it around a little bit? It's time. <laughs> the Seahorn the, the rule. Um, of course, I'm kidding. Know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a meritocracy. That's that's no why. doubt. If he's if good enough, he'll be drafted. The, best of position, that's and he's among the the best. Don't, uh, 300 don't care players. what race you are. If you're if you're the best at that position, then you play. So, that's so Henry McKenna of of Fox Sports, who covers the AFC East, has the story, and it, it came through Good Morning Football. Devin McCourty, twin brother of Jason McCourty, still a member of the New England Patriots, was on and was discussing. Uh, quarterback Mac Jones, who now has Bill O'Brien as his offensive coordinator after a year of purgatory with what Bill Belichick decided to do with the offensive system. It was awful. And you know, there are stories that were coming out about, is Bailey Zappi going to be the starter? Is Zappi's playing well? So is when Mac Jones is healthy, is Belichick just going to leave Zappi in or go back to their, their first-round pick from the year prior? So... I mentioned um, McKenna because he reported earlier that there was early in 2002 or 2022, coaches were instructed not to be too hard on Jones in an effort to protect him from being too critical of himself. There had been an issue the, his rookie season with Jones struggling after getting yelled at per the source. That source also suggested in hindsight, it might have been a mistake to go easy on the quarterback because... In early December, Mac Jones, through the media, said that he wanted to be coached harder. He wasn't getting enough coaching behind the scenes. And he looked forward to it. Well, now he's got Bill O'Brien, who, of course, did great things with Tom Brady. 
And if Tom Brady can get yelled at in that manner, anybody can. We've heard great stories on that. Devin McCourty, though, not just took up for Mac Jones, but said, like, there are guys behind the scenes that don't like me in meetings. I rub people the wrong way. He's like, so I welcome the quarterback speaking his mind about what he does and doesn't like. And if that rubs people the wrong way, so be it, because he's a leader and he stepped in as a rookie and wanted to be one. Take that for what it's worth, too. But, Chad, the idea that you can't be critical for Bill Belichick to have that, if true, goes against everything we've seen with how he treated Tom Brady. Well, so, I don't think you can uniform treat every player the same way. I'll give you an example. I'm watching this docu, uh, docu-series on Southern basketball, and there's a good part of it in the latest episode I watched on Pat Summit about Pat Summit at Tennessee. She was extremely hard on every player to the point that you know she's making women on her team cry routinely. Yeah. Well, she had a point guard in Michelle Marciniak who finally had to go to her and say, you have broken me. You have broken me mentally. I cannot play for you and be coached like this. The way you coach me, I have no confidence and can't perform because of how you handle me. And that was sort of a turning point for Pat Summit to acknowledge, I can't, if I can yell at one player this way. She, she saw a sports psychologist with the players and kind of learned there are different ways to coach different players and to motivate them. And it's not productive to coach certain players the way I'm accustomed to coaching them. I think that's true with it, with every coach at every level. So while Tom Brady can handle it, doesn't mean everybody can handle it or that it's good or productive for everyone. Now, look, I like consistency with coaches. I'm not saying you should be some pushover based on the player, whoever it is, and I'm not vouching for that. I'm simply saying that not everyone is Tom Brady. Now, yeah. if, you, now if you're an organization, you know, Dan Campbell's a good example. You want to bring in a certain type of guy. To your organization. Yep. So that's part of the selection process. You're bringing in people that naturally fit. You get to draft them, right? This is not college where you pick your coach and pick your school. You draft them, or it's a free agency situation. They pick you. But you're trying to draft guys that fit with that ethos that you can coach hard. You can yell out. It's not going to emotionally break them or mentally break them if, they, if you get onto them. You're trying to find those types of players, right? You would think in college, if you're going to play for Bobby Knight in his heyday, Saban, you know what in you're getting. Case. Yeah, I mean, you you right, you know what you're getting. Nick Saban as a good, Pat Summit in women's yep. basketball. You think, okay, I know what I'm signing up for, and since you're picking, you're probably more of that type that wants to be coached that way. Not always the case, and I'm not saying every coach should bend their own rules or how they coach based on a player's feelings getting hurt or anything like that. I'm simply saying that it may not be the most productive thing with every player sure. to handle them all the same way. But they, I mean, they reportedly did this because he was too hard on himself after his rookie season. But I'm thinking, like, you've got the guy, he's the 15th overall pick. You're handing the reins to him. They go into the 2022 season with, you know, a mashup of horrendous decisions for who's calling plays, who's not, who's overseeing the offense, who's not, after Josh McDaniels becomes the head coach of the Raiders, in comes Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to run the offense. And now they're getting Bill O'Brien, and I think things shape back into form. Because Mac Jones can play, and his rookie season wasn't awful. Last year was. And I think getting back to what he does well and allowing him to be vocal behind the scenes and critical is imperative for him. They stunted his growth last year. 
injury or not. There's no doubt about that. So I, I think O'Brien plays a huge role in his bounce back. But if there's a rift between him and Belichick, like, you know, that has been rumored out there, then maybe he's some trade bait on draft day. Well, I, I think the likely outcome is he's just not that good of an NFL quarterback. That, that's where I'm starting to fall more in line with on Mac Jones. Maybe he proves me wrong, and that's the issue. I don't always buy that. Well, he's, he's just so serious and so hard on himself. And I'm thinking, well, you're an NFL quarterback. I mean, I think every NFL yeah. quarterback is going to be hard on themselves. I do understand that mentality. You know, growing up playing, I was that type of kid where I screwed up, and there's nothing the coach could say that would make me feel worse because I was so hard on myself if I made a mistake and would mentally beat myself up for it. So I understand the mentality that's being discussed here, but I think it's probably just that Mac Jones isn't going to be that great of an NFL quarterback. Year, 10 and 7, uh, completed 68% of his passes, nearly 4,000 yards his rookie season to 22 touchdowns and 13 picks. And then last year, 6 and 8 as the starter and only 3,000 yards passing and 14 touchdowns to 11 picks. I just I think they took a step back with him in a big way and a chance to bounce forward. They did the opposite. And I, who knows? Can he be just an average guy based on that system? Yeah. I think what's required of how they built that roster. But is it going to be meeting the standards of Bill Belichick? Probably not. Some high standards. No doubt. Coming up, Dan Mullen joins us. We'll dive into the coaching aspect of all the assistants. I say all. There are a lot of assistants in college football looking to make the jump to the NFL and for a, a litany of reasons, but NIL's playing a factor, time management, time with family. The NFL's overall easier. We'll get Coach Mullen's take on it next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Chad and I are just marveling at the defensive line numbers. These guys putting up wide receiver-like numbers four, on the 40. 3, 8, 40, 4, 4, Crazy, man. 250-plus pounds. Outkick 360 rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Coach Dan Mullen joins us uh, yet again. Coach, uh, what, what do you make of these 4-3-40s from defensive ends now? Well, I'm, it's a little bit easier that I don't have to worry about blocking them and protecting them <laughs> off the edge right now. You know, I mean, it's uh, a Friday afternoon, so instead of sweating that out, I just get to watch it and enjoy it on TV instead of trying to figure out how to block them all. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on again. <laughs> we, we, we love the football chats with you. 
Uh, what sparked this, and uh, your name came up because I wanted to get some perspective on the former SEC coach now seeing other assistants. 19 assistants have jumped this offseason to the NFL for other jobs mm-hmm. that had good paying jobs in the SEC or, or beyond across college football. Why is it so much easier? Maybe easy is not the right word, but the the time constraints are so much easier on the NFL coaches right now compared to the new landscape of college football. Well, I think it is. And, and it's something that is a trend that has just switched back. You know, if you go back about 15 years ago or, you know, it was about 15, maybe 20 years ago in that frame, there was a big uh, influx of NFL coaches coming to college for the quality of life. Hey, I get to go make an impact on these young kids' lives. We get to get around it. We're in a great college town, great place to raise a family. Um, and, you know, the, the, a little bit more maybe stability in college football than you had in the NFL at the time. And I think over the last couple of years, you started to see that swing about three to four years ago. And, and I think everybody could see it coming where it went the other way, where it completely switched, where all the college coaches were then looking and talking to people in the NFL instead of, you know, the NFL of, hey, it's it's such a long season. It's a grind. And it goes from this date to this date. Um, and, and it really eats you up where college football, hey, there was some more flexibility. Now it's it's flipped where the NFL, you have a set schedule. You're dealing with guys that are pros, not NIL pros or kind of pros or high school. I'm a pro sometimes and a student athlete other times. Um and you have your set schedule. Hey, this is our time off. These are when we're working. We're working from here to here. We're worrying about football. I'm not worrying about NIL. I'm not worried the NCA when they changed the recruiting rules a couple of years ago where, um, you know, and it's, I mean, you're in, in college football, you're recruiting 24-7, 365, but you're not hosting kids 24-7, 365 on the weekends. And it kind of was switching where all of a sudden, where is the dead period? Where do we get some rest? When do we get to do this into college football went from the season ends. Great. Get on the road. We have a signing day. You have your bowl game. All right. Now we have the transfer portal window. Now after that, we're back out recruiting until the next signing day. Then we're trying to arrange spring practice for our guys. Now we, now it's March 1st, junior day startup. Official visits are going to start up all spring and that goes, and then, hey, there's a two-week window in the summer where you can catch your breath. Now, you're still on the phone the whole time, but you can at least catch your breath and not have to be in the office on those two weeks. You can take phone calls on vacation with your family if you want, uh, right into training camp. And I think that the lack of stability in college football, these coaches now are looking and saying, hey, you know what? Give me that NFL lifestyle. I know what the schedule is. The rules are very exact. They're very set. The future is very set. Um, and there's very little uncertainty in what's going on. And I think coaches are saying, I, I'd rather be in, in that lifestyle. Yeah, and talking about the NIL piece of that, Coach, you had the story out of Texas A&M where the NIL collective sort of partnering with the university, and then the NCAA comes back and says, well, that's not prohibited under our interim guidelines of what we're doing. But I did see that and think, well, this would be one way to avoid the situation that happened at Florida, for example, with the Gator Collective and Jaden Rashada. If there was more cooperation with school and collective, and I feel like maybe that takes a little bit of the burden off the coaches too, so they can just recruit and coach and not worry about NIL. It's interesting because the NCAA, the NCAA really needs a vision of what is going to happen. And they don't want to be that strong voice and that vision right now. 
Um, to sit there and say, oh, Texas A&M school is they're the one that's working with their collective. Nobody else is um, just Texas A&M, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so the NCAA is very selective on what they look at and what their choices are and who they want to consider and what the, what how they want to enforce things. Uh, and I, I, I think you could see you could see it all coming a couple of years ago. I think there's two big issues right now with college football and whether it's NIL, whether it's calendar, whether it's scheduling, you have the coaches that can't get on the same page. And the, the issue with coaches, and, and this will make sense once I explain it, uh, is competitiveness. I, you know, I remember sitting in meetings, right? And it, if I'm saying, if I'm in the meeting and I'm saying, hey, I really think we should do this. In SEC meetings, you immediately have 13 other coaches saying, no, that can't be a good idea because he must have thought of that for some way to give himself an advantage over all of us. And right. And then. Yeah. But if all of a sudden you can get the SEC coaches to, to agree to something, say hey, the SEC coaches believe this is a great idea. Immediately, the Big 12 coaches or, or Big 10 coaches, that can't be good for the Big 10. If the SEC wants it, it can't be good for us. Uh and we're, they're almost just so suspicious of the competitive advantage of coaches' ideas creating what's good for the future of college football. So because of that, maybe the coaches don't always have a unified voice moving forward. And if the coaches have a unit, do end up with one thing, having a unified voice going forward, the NCAA's immediate thought is, then it can't. It must be good for the coaches. Can't be good for the players. The coaches are trying to pull one over on everybody, and so it's kind of the, the coaches not being on the same page all the time and being able to agree this is what's best, and then the lack of leadership by the NCA because they kind of hey I, I, they don't want to annoy people. They don't want. They want to be a little hands off, and you know, and they're trying to make a rule and said, hey, if we create a rule. It has to be good. I played football or, or sinus college in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. Go Bears, right? <laughs> but I'll be honest with you. The rules at Ursinus and the rules at Texas are very, you know, in the budgets and how the whole thing should line up should not match exactly, you know? And never mind, the NSA wants to do that and make it the same rule for, for women's water polo at Stanford. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, to say SEC football, Division three football, never mind, are those two not the same? You can't have the same rules for all the sports. So the NCAA kind of needs to kind of say, hey, this is what's best for the direction of major college football. Let's separate them. These are the rules. This is how it works, because you can't govern them on the same rules you're going to govern Division three football and even FCS football. They just don't have the same budgets. And then the coaches need to kind of almost check the egos or put them aside or get some former coaches to come in and say, I think this is what's best and, and really kind of scrap it all and start from scratch and get with the federal government on what is legal and what you can do. That's not breaking antitrust rules in this and just start anew with everything from calendar to recruiting to NIL. Well, Hey, if you want to unionize the players and collective bargain, do that. This is what's going to, and we're going to make a decision. This is what's best in the big picture of it, and it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people, but moving forward, here we go. And think about the, you, you mentioned it from the SEC meeting perspective, which is great, um, but like, if Sankey says something, then the Big Ten, you know, oh, the SEC commissioner is now uh, saying this, or ESPN wants this, so <laughs> we can't do it that way because they're in bed with the SEC. Like, it, 
I, I understood exactly where you're going, and it's not just within that small room. And it is. And so when you compare where a lot of people are like, hey, it's similar to the NFL. It, it's not. The NFL has a commissioner, a league office, 32 teams that all go by the exact same rules in everything they do. College football, not only does it have the multiple conferences, it has the multiple levels of college football. Um, and, you know, I, it, 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 you're, you're sitting there and saying it, it, everybody's got to be exactly the same. And then their NCAA is trying to govern through all sports. And it's just hard to get everybody on the same page. And I think that's where you get the confusion. That's where you get the kind of the shrugging and the hands up. And that's where you get everybody being kind of uncomfortable with where it's at right Who would be good for that job overseeing college football? And maybe a better question, who wants that gig? Like, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want the headache. I don't, I don't know what the price tag would be. I don't, it would be a high number. It's got to be an extremely high number to get someone to take that on. Well, you know what? I, I think it, it, and it can't, it's got to be somebody with a really strong personality, with the willingness to want to go out there. They're going to be the most disliked person out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's just going to happen because every decision you make in some ways upsetting people. Um, and to be honest with you, you have to have a strong political and legal background, I think, because there's so much right now that I think, you know, you look in college athletics and the NCAA, it's OK, well, we're going to enforce this rule. And all of a sudden. You know, there's a congressional hearing that that's illegal. I mean, you're completely breaking every antitrust rule right there. So I, I th- there has to be kind of uh, some decision to maybe look of, of really starting from scratch. It, it'll sort itself out right now. With where we're at now, um, within two to three years, everyone is going to adjust. You know, the NIL will kind of maybe be more defined. Uh, you know, in the end, the NIL is – there's some school boosters just aren't going to care. But there's not a lot of – there's not much return on these guys, you know, um, of sitting there and saying, hey, if, if you know, if, if I go make a, a commercial with Peyton Manning, I'm going to get some return. If I'm making a commercial, I, I go in there and, you know, Dak Prescott's selling me a sleep number bed. Every Dallas Cowboy fan has a sleep number bed, you know, I mean, or whatever it is and, and that they're doing. Yeah. To sit there and say a high school senior is going to give whatever random company is giving money to this collective and they're going to see a big return on that investment with advertising dollars or anything, uh, I don't see it. So I I think eventually the market is going to balance itself out a little bit where people are saying it's just not worth paying that money. But um, it'll be interesting to see how long that takes and when it starts to balance out and what what the real value of the student athlete is compared, right. You know, compared to, um, if you look like NIL, right. The I, it's, it's gym. I, I, I know you, do you guys watch sec gymnastics. Uh, I, I see the promos for it when I'm watching sec basketball. I'll, say, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, it's one of the most exciting things. I, I, I'm it's like Friday night heights this time of year. When you actually tune in, it's unbelievable. And the quality of these athletes, Right. But a lot of the, the girls in that, I think, have are big NIL girls. The Libby Dunn at, yeah, at yeah. LSU, the Trinity oh, yeah. Thomas at Florida, uh, uh, SUNY Lee at Auburn, right? But I, but I see those as almost true NIL dollars. That's the true meaning of it, right? They didn't have a booster write a huge check to say, please come to my school. Their fair market value as college athletes in their sport. 
And football's just not that, not there. But I think if one day if it balances out, I think it'll be really interesting to see how that works. Uh, instead of just boosters trying to throw money out to get kids to come to your school for a year until they decide they can get more money transferring somewhere else. Coach, someone you know well, Anthony Richardson, has been the talk of the Combine up in Indy this week, and uh, we kind of predicted it that someone with his physical skill set is going to be a fast riser when people start to really yeah. look into him. Um, what do you think when, when you see this? What do you think about Anthony Richardson as a pro prospect? Well, I, you got the two two sides to it for me of knowing him really well, knowing him since he was, you know, 15 years old. Uh, on raw talent, he might be the most talented, raw talent quarterback I've ever been with, uh, you know, and, and been around. And I've been around some great ones, you know. I mean, the, on raw talent, he, he's up there with, with in, in Cam Newton levels, but maybe even – you know, I want to upset Cam, but even more talented than Cam, just on, on on his athletic ability, his accuracy, how the ball jumps out of his hands at, at a younger age. You know, Cam, I think, worked and really had the athleticism, but really developed. I thought Anthony is just even more of a natural thrower uh, with his throwing motion and uh, how the ball comes out of his hands. And, you know, and you you look at some of these guys that, that have been out there. He has all that raw talent. Um, so it's a no-brainer. I mean, you, you know, if, if, it, if it pans out, he's special. You know, if it pans out, he is this, uh, you know, unbelievable athletic thrower, tools, size, everything. I hope for Anthony's sake he gets with an organization. He's still young. Uh, not only is he young as, as a player with experience, he's young as an age group player still too he's young for his class he's not one of these guys that stayed back in school through you know a couple of years where he you know he was an older mature kid he's a really young guy so i hope he gets to an organization that is going to really spend the time to develop him you know i i i would i i don't want to doubt his ability i'd hate to i'd love to see him go to an organization where he has a, a year to kind of soak in a year or two to soak in and gets with a player like a, a Patrick Mahomes that got to go to the NFL as a special talent and go with an Alex Smith, who's a special talent in his own way uh, to really teach him the ropes and, and show him how to do things and learn how to do things. And I hope Anthony gets to absorb all of that and his talent gets to peak to be how, how special he really can be. Just being honest, whenever he announced he was going pro, I said on the show, I, I thought he should stay for one more year for that development. Because you, I'm not seeing a lot of quarterback development in the NFL, right? Like, you, it, there's such a small window of time to prove you're it or not, and then they move on. For coaches and players, I don't see that QB development for the second and third string guy. You know what I'd love to see them do right now? And it's just starting off with the, with the uh, XFL, watching yeah. some of those games. I wish, like, you know, I watch you watch soccer and this player's on loan from this club. But I mean, you yeah. wish the, uh, you know, some of these third string quarterbacks in the NFL that could go on loan to the XFL team for a spring. You know, hey, if, you, if you're not playing, you know, if you're kind of a third string guy, you're not getting reps, you're standing holding the clipboard, you get a couple reps a week in practice. We're going to send you on loan. And I, I'll tell you what, it would certainly make it, it would it would increase the value of, of that sport in the spring and everybody's excitement to watch. Hey, we got. You know Kyle Trask mm -hmm. he, with the Bucks has got you know his opportunity looks like it's it's coming up this this year, 
Well, it would have been neat to watch him play last spring, and there would have been a lot of investment in watching him play last spring and develop um, instead of holding a clipboard for the last couple of years. And uh, so, you know, that would be something that'd be really interesting for these guys in the future. And, and Anthony, you know, and Anthony's sake, I, I think in his mind, he thought the the risk reward coming out, I'm ready, and am I going to get developed more getting into the NFL or staying in college for one more year? I think that's a question that a lot of guys are asking themselves. Is there a perfect fit in mind for him other than just the situation of having a veteran there like you're speaking of with Mahomes? You know, I, I think – I don't know the perfect fit uh, for any of those guys, right? You know, I mean, obviously for, for a guy like Anthony that comes from a smaller town that's a younger guy, uh, if you get thrown into the fire in one of these markets where they're going to, you know, I mean – <laughs> you, yeah. you get the, the Philly, the Philly or the New York market or one of those where, you know, I mean, they're just going to, I mean, everything you is you do on a, every second of the day is scrutinized. I think that's always tougher uh, for the growth and development, of, especially of young guys. You know, uh, it, it, it makes it always a little bit tougher. How much is the size issue an issue for Bryce Young or just quarterbacks under six feet? You know, I there, there's always there's always something, and in, in, in college football, a little different. I learned this uh, talking to some guys back in in the day. As strange as it is, of, of Joe Montana, I, I saw some different stuff that he was doing, and some footwork he would do, and he would drift maybe a foot one way or another in the pocket, you know, to, to where he was going to throw and could cheat throws and create momentum for arm strength, um, or creating throwing lanes and how much you move in the pocket. And you have to remember that left tackle gets, you know, he might have a bonus on how many pressures or sacks he gives up. So he wants to know exactly where you're going to stand at all times. Don't you, you know, and yeah. if your guy has to move a whole bunch to create your throwing windows, you can kind of, you can get that left tackle a little bit annoyed right there. Like, Hey, you know, you're costing me money by moving around back here. Just because not my fault. You can't see. Um, but I, the, the thing to me about Bryce Young that I've been impressed with, he, his ability to change arm angles, his ability to make when you study him, a lot of different throws. It's not like he's playing with a bunch of tiny guys at Alabama on the offensive line, and it's not like he's playing against lesser competition in the Southeastern Conference with the guys that are rushing him. Um, and the most impressive thing to me is, for the most part, he was able to stay healthy or play hurt throughout his career. You know, he, he was not missing a whole lot of games for a guy that's not very big. Um, you know, and you see guys that get banged up, and he's a guy that was able to stay healthy. He maneuvers in the pocket, has great pocket movement, great pocket sense. He has the ability to slide and move in the pocket and keep his eyes down the field. Um, so I think there's that little bit of fear of the, uh, you know, his of his size, of his unknown. But I think he's answered a lot of those questions during his time at Alabama. Dan Mullen, our guest on Outkick 360. What do you think about Will Levis of Kentucky? You know, on, the, on uh, the, 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 the flip side with Will, I think Will has a lot of intangibles. You know, he has the size. He has the athleticism. He has the arm strength. Um, there were times this year – and I thought this year was a great example where, you know, last year, you know, Bryce Young, if you can look at those two, had all the weapons in the world around him. And you can sit there and say, hey, you know, I mean, it looks like almost anybody go play quarterback with that group of talent around. You just kind of get the ball to somebody and they go score a touchdown. 
there were times this year I thought that Bryce Young put the team on his shoulders and carried them. You know, when they needed it, he carried that team. I would have liked to have seen Will Levis do that more. You know, I know he has the ability, but there were times at Kentucky, I was watching Kentucky and saying, okay, hey, if you're the guy, it's time for you right now. And I know their running game wasn't as good this year. It's time for you to say, I don't care who's around me. I'm going to put this team on my shoulders and I'm going to carry this team to victory. And I would have liked to seen him do that more. I know he's going to test out and he has all of the skills that you want, but on the field, I really would have liked to seen him sit there and say, Hey, I can just carry this organization. I can carry this team when I need to, Uh, whether it's with my arms, whether it's my legs, whatever it needs to be, I'm going to, we're going to win because we have me. It doesn't matter about anybody else on the roster. I would have liked to have seen that a little more from him this year. Right there with you. Chad and I have been discussing that too. And at at times, not to the full extent of Levis, I saw that or felt that with C.J. Stroud with Ohio State. You know, they're in a a two-possession game against Northwestern, for instance. He, I'm with you because I watch C.J. Stroud. I mean, the fun thing is being on TV this year. You get to watch a lot more of these guys, not just, you know, like one game every once in a while. And I watch C.J. Stroud and all year. I'm like, boy, he's got talent. He's got weapons everywhere around him, and he gets the ball to him. It was the game. I'll tell you what flipped me a little bit. It was the game against Georgia, that playoff game. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, all of a sudden some of the weapons went down. Some of this went down. And it was, it didn't matter. You give me the ball. I can make it happen. You know, I mean, you get in the NFL. That Patrick Mahomes, guys are going to come and go in the NFL, right? I mean, you great quarterbacks in the NFL. Guys are going to come and go. And if you're a great one, it doesn't matter. You give me the ball, I'm going to make it happen. And, you know, I think he he showed a lot in that one game. Now, it's hard. You don't want to base everything off of one game. But he answered a question against probably the best, you know, the best defense in the country that if you need to give me the ball, I can respond. I can make it happen by myself against the best team out there. Is there a quarterback beyond the four we've discussed that you take a flyer on on day two, for instance, or a a development guy that you'd love to coach? Boy, that's that's tricky. You know, um, with this year's group of guys coming out, I'm trying to think of somebody. Um, I don't know. That, that might sneak under the radar for me. What, There's what about, about Hendon Hooker? Though. Yeah, well, I didn't want to plant the name, but Hendon Hooker at I, you 25. Know, I just, you know, the hardest one for me with a Hendon Hooker, uh, I think he has great leadership. I think he's shown great improvement. He's 25 years old. How much better is he going to get? You know what I mean? Like, I, you, I look at him and Stetson Bennett and saying, hey, I hate, I hate to categorize both of them. But I wouldn't mind taking those guys as being backup guys in the quarterback room. Right. You know, and I can feel comfortable that they're going to be prepared, take care of their business, be ready if I need them to get on the field and and get us through a couple of weeks in the middle of the season because our guys banged up. Um, You know, I see those guys more in that that light. Um, But there's always those guys out there, you know, Uh, you know, and I hate to do it like Hendon Hooker, very similar to me. You know, you look at. at, at Dak Prescott when he, Dak was in college, right? Of, you know, you're watching him run and he's a better, he's not like you're not sitting there and saying this guy's the most dynamic runner ever, but he's a pretty good runner. You watch him throw and you say, okay, boy, he makes a lot of these throws. 
But you know what he does best of all? He leads and he wins. And, you know, and he continues to improve. And that's like Dak Prescott. I always thought that with Dak is he always got better from one year to the next. He was a much better player every single season that he played. And he was the ultimate it guy. He's the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate guy that everyone in the locker room wants to rally around him. You know, and, and Hendon Hooker seemed to be that with the leadership that he brought to that team this year. So I, I don't know that any of those guys are, are you know, that, that you jump up and down, but there's always going to be somebody that sneaks in and you're like, how did we miss him? You know, but I always thought when people would ask me with Dak, like, would you, where would you take him? I said, I'd take him really high because I'd build an organization around him because he's a guy you can build an entire organization around because of all of his factors. You know what I mean? He's an yeah. it guy, um, you know, and, and our, the Hendon Hooker, Stetson Bennett, those type of guys, those it guys that, you know, they might not have the skill set of some of the top, top guys, but boy, you can build an organization around them. We don't have the time for it, but I'm writing this down to make a note the next time you join us. I, I'm thinking back on the scouting of Dak Prescott. I know you've got some good Jerry Jones stories, so we'll, I'll set you up for that. Uh, behind <laughs> we'll the we'll save there. that one for the next time. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Hey, always a legit conversation with you. We, we appreciate really good. the Thank insight you. as always, man. Yeah, enjoy it. Have a great night. Have fun up there in Nashville tonight. I'm sure it's Friday night. There's always something fun happening there, right? Morgan Wallen concert. Enjoy yeah. uh, SEC gymnastics tonight. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> Morgan Wallen night tonight. Nights. Free concert, yeah, no. at the arena. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be watching SEC gymnastics. There you go. Out here Perfect. In no. At Lake Oconee in Georgia. I'll probably be watching SEC gymnastics. So. Thank you, Coach. <laughs> Thank you so we much. We appreciate you, man. Yeah, have a great night. You too. Uh, Coach Dan Mullen uh, always brings it, man. Love having him on. Really good. And uh, he's very generous with his time, too, for the show. Great insight there. Um, coming up, look ahead to the weekend. And speaking of where we are in Nashville, the Tennessee cop story that took a turn and then came back again full circle. Well, maybe. We'll discuss it next Now, Kick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Outkick 360 rolls on. What's been a fun week? Um, Chad, so Ross Dellinger has tweeted out the common opponents for the SEC yeah, scheduling. He's, he's basically posted a screenshot of what looks like an email or a, a something official 
uh, from the league with the proposed well three constant opponents for every school. He does put on the, the precursor of this is this is the educated guess. But it's a screenshot of yeah. For a reason. Well, the Wilson Alexander, who covers uh, LSU for the New Orleans Times Picayune, has even he's just now reporting. Sources confirm that LSU's permanent opponents will be Alabama, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss. Okay. Um, so I, I can go right down the list here of what Ross Dellinger has. Well, so it is. It's identical to what Saban was complaining about. Yeah. That's first Al- and foremost. Alabama's constant opponents are Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. Tennessee's constant opponents are Vanderbilt, Alabama, South Carolina. Bit it, of a break, quite it, frankly, outside of Alabama. Yep. Uh, Missouri has Oklahoma, Arkansas, Vanderbilt. Texas has Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Arkansas. Makes a ton of sense. Yep. Uh, the old Southwest Conference. Oklahoma would have Texas, Missouri, and Florida. It's interesting. Um, Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, Ole Miss. A&M gets LSU, Texas, Mississippi State. Ole Miss gets Mississippi State, LSU, Arkansas. Miss, uh, Mississippi State gets Ole Miss, Kentucky, A&M. Auburn would play Alabama, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. That's an odd. Vanderbilt, Auburn's an odd every year matchup. Vanderbilt gets Tennessee, Auburn, Missouri. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Tennessee. Kentucky would play Mississippi State, who they play every year now as a constant opponent. South Carolina and Georgia. Georgia would play Auburn, Florida, Kentucky. Florida would play Georgia, South Carolina, and Oklahoma. And South Carolina would play Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky. So they're not pairing Tennessee with Kentucky, which is the longest-running rivalry over the course of all the rivals for Tennessee. I, I, would, I will say, of the schools on this list that have won a national championship in their history, Tennessee gets the biggest break in this one. With oh, Vanderbilt yes. and South Carolina and Alabama yes. sandwiched in there. Well, I'm just looking at Oklahoma. Oklahoma gets Missouri and Florida, and I'm viewing Florida through the lens of what we've recently seen. Yeah. So Texas, Missouri, and Florida, that's also that's a nice schedule for Oklahoma entering the league. Meanwhile, Texas, Oklahoma, A&M, and Arkansas. Look, there's no perfect way no, to do I know, it. I I, I'm, I'm fine with the, what's out there. And I just I, I, I opened the show by saying this. No one wants to hear Nick Saban talk about something being unfair. So the, Alabama will just have to deal with that. I mean, if, if they're going to have a slightly tougher schedule. That's a product of being so great and winning so many national championships. So yep. consider it a compliment. Yeah, and we, I want to continue to see Tennessee Bama. I yeah. still want to see the Iron Bowl. Well, and this is one where Tennessee's actually could, you know, benefit from being could. inept for a decade. Could, yes, over the last 10 years. Chad, fun week. We're back at it on Monday, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here across the Outkick Network. This we is made Outkick it. 360. We did it. We said we couldn't.